Ozark Highlands Radio is brought to you by the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. A wonderful way to enjoy yesterday. On the web at ozarkfolkcenter.com. And by Stone Bank, a community bank supporting entrepreneurs and farmers nationwide with loans guaranteed by the USDA, SBA, and Farm Services Agency. Learn more at stonebank.com. And the Arkansas Arts Council, empowering the arts for the benefit of all Arkansans. On the web at arkansasarts.org. Hey everybody, this is Dave Smith, host of Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome to our show. This week we'll hear some great bluegrass bands, both regional and international, recorded live at the Ozark Folk Center State Park in Mountain View, Arkansas. Down in the vault, Mark Jones offers an archival recording of bluegrass legend Buck White, and author, folklorist, and songwriter Charlie Sandage speaks with Ozark Folk Center woodworker Joe Rowe about the subtleties of bow making. That's this week on Ozark Highlands Radio. In the 1940s, Kentucky mandolinist Bill Monroe and his bluegrass boys brought a brand new sound onto the American popular music landscape. Named after Monroe's band, this new bluegrass music was an evolution of the traditional old-time music of Appalachia, drawing its roots from the same English, Scottish, and Irish ballads and dances as early Appalachian folk music. Bluegrass also utilizes the same type of acoustic stringed instruments, banjo, mandolin, fiddle, guitar, dobro, and upright acoustic bass are the standard tools for bluegrass. Add to those a ferocious driving tempo, brilliant virtuosity, and a style of singing that Bill Monroe described as a high, lonesome sound, and you've got bluegrass. Here's a little bit of the real thing from the Becky Buller Band.
It's hard to make a living playing bluegrass music. Bluegrass is a niche market everywhere you go in the world, literally. I mean, and some of my favorite bluegrass music is coming out of Czech and Slovak republics. But you can find it really? everywhere. Yes, yes. Um, and I, I heard from Jamie Deering of Deering Banjos that their biggest market right now is in Mongolia. Wow. I know, isn't it crazy? I had no idea. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's not, it's never going to be a really popular music, but there's something in it that resonates with folks all over the world, and that's just a beautiful thing.
That was Nashville-based multi-IBMA award winners, the Becky Buller Band, playing the Carroll County Blues and one of Becky's original songs, Heart of the House. Next, we'll hear from Grammy-nominated Austin, Texas progressive bluegrass sensation Wood and Wire, playing a couple of their original songs, Eliza and the Spirit of 94.
Yeah, to like a new bluegrass audience now, there's so much of a catalog to go through. When I started listening to bluegrass, it was like, you know, you could go to the record store and buy it all in like two weeks. <laughs> and you have the entire education from Bill Monroe all the way through the Johnson Mountain Boys and you know, the Tony Rice unit, and that was it. You know what I mean? But now, you know, um, when somebody comes into bluegrass uh, as a brand new listener, somebody who maybe has never listened to that acoustic music at all, when they come into it, it's like for them to want to do the historical sort of, oh, who did he like and who did he learn from and who did he learn from, you know, to get back all the way back to Bill Monroe or Ralph Stanley and, and stuff, you know, that's, that takes a while, <laughs> you know, so the audience has this huge burden of, <laughs> of material, a new audience member has this huge, if they want to really know, if they really want to, you know, know what bluegrass is or whatever, you know, so it's, it's become harder it's become almost impossible to define, which means that the that it's it's still alive. Out beyond the hills in western Pennsylvania, good men support their families on whiskey from the grain. Ain't never had no money. Now cold wind is blowing, the tax man's drawing near, and with him comes the trouble to our way of life so dear. Hamilton decreed it in Washington each sign. Them folks back east don't give a damn about the frontier Jump in the sea To me that'd be just fine 
Austin, Texas, bluegrass sensation, Wood and Wire, recorded live on our stage in Mountain View, Arkansas. It's time for a short break. In a minute, we'll head down to the vault for a visit with the ever-erudite Mark Jones. This is Ozark Highlands Radio. Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. I think I'll head down to the vault now and visit with my buddy Mark Jones. Hey, Mark. Hi, Dave. How are you? Well, I'm pretty good. Man, we need to get you some more light bulbs down here. Oh, I know. We're on a budget. (laughs) You see what I got? I got one of them that clips onto my cap, and that way I I can see where I'm looking. That's right. Who needs light bulbs when you got one of them? Right. All right. You found any good music for us this week? Well, you know, Dave, I got to thinking about a time in the past, all around 1977, 78, and a friend of ours, family friend of ours, Buck White, came down here. And uh, actually, I think he was going deer hunting and came down here, and one night he came in, and brought his buddy Earl Sneed, and uh, they played at the auditorium here. Uh-huh, Buck and, White, that'd be of the famous White Bluegrass family band, huh? Right, the Whites. Yeah, they used to come here every now and then, huh? One of his daughters married Ricky Skaggs, and his other daughter, Cheryl, she uh, married a gentleman there in, in Nashville, but they're just great people. And yes, they did. They used to come here and sometimes stay with Albert Sands. Ah, uh, the famous Albert Sands. That's uh-huh. right. And uh, they'd they'd pull in, stay at his trailer or up on the hill on the the house up on the hill. But uh, they're just great people. And Buck always enjoyed Mountain View, and he's been back a few times. So you probably got a bluegrass tune for us this week. I, then. Well, I do. It's called all more pretty girls than one. Well, let's listen to it. All right. There's more pretty girls than one. 
came in so late last night. Papa gave me good advice. Said, boy, you better quit all your messing around and marry you a good little wife. Huh? There's more pretty girls than one. some fine picking and wasn't he a great singer good tenor's voice on that guy good voice yes and a great mandolin player he played guitar on this last cut that we listened to from the stage here at the folk center but he played guitar on it and uh, earl sneed's a really pretty well-known banjo player in bluegrass yeah it sounded great to me hey look thanks a lot mark I, i'll see you next week okay all right. Is that a promise? Absolutely. I'll be here. Let's get back to some more hot bluegrass music. This time from some fellas right here in Arkansas, the Keesler Brothers Band.
you know, we when we started playing music in the 80s and the 90s, there was more than 14 bluegrass festivals in the state of Arkansas. There's not but three now. The audience is getting to the age to where if we don't do something, there's not going to be any audience out there for us to play to. Because by the time I get to the age of the audience, there ain't nobody behind me. Who, who do I sit down and listen to? We have got to do, in bluegrass, we have got to do a better job. We have got to find that answer for bluegrass, just like you people have found for folk music up here in Mountain View. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be head, heading that way, pushing hard to find something, some way to do it. I just don't know what that is right now. Oh, in South Carolina, there are many tall pines. I remember the oak trees that we used to climb. But whenever I'm lonely, I always pretend. Started out younger, had most everything. Oh, riches and pleasures, what else could life bring? But it makes me feel better each time it begins. That was the Keesler Brothers Band from Sheridan, Arkansas. 
In that set, we heard a song written by Webb Pierce in 1958, Tupelo County Jail, and the Graham Parsons classic, Hickory Winds, first recorded by the Birds in 1973. Let's listen now to some fine songs sung by a card-carrying Kentucky colonel, Dave Adkins. She might be lying. I don't think she lies, but she's going with me. Um, she tells a story that when I started actually saying stuff, that I would sing it. She just said that I I, I sang whatever I wanted, I would sing it to her. And, and I, I was like, what do you mean? And she said, you know, whatever you said, you you put it into a song. And like I, you wanted to bowl through Yeah, this. yeah. I want to bowl through the, <laughs> Yeah, And my earliest memory is standing in front of my family and making them listen to me sing. I mean, that's all I ever wanted to do. And I started out in bluegrass when I was eight and uh, played at Dollywood three years with the band. We were there. Uh, I got moved to Nashville. Company moved me down there, and I got signed to a big-time country deal. And I was young and dumb. And 
when that fell through, I came back and just worked a long time. And, and uh, I started singing in church, and that's where I should have been. I just slowly got back into music, and, and it's just every day I get to be on stage is a blessing. And you don't make a ton of money doing bluegrass, but, man, if I can keep the wolves off the door and get to do what I love, I win. Band. That was the Dave Adkins Band, featuring Dave's powerful voice on a Bill Monroe classic, My Rose of Old Kentucky, and the White Freightliner Blues, written by Towns Van Zandt back in 1972. When we come back after this short break, guest host Charlie Sandage will continue his series on crafts in the Ozarks. You're listening to Ozark Highlands Radio.
Welcome back to Ozark Highlands Radio. Author, songwriter, and folklorist Charlie Sandage has been spending some time visiting with the master craftspeople at the Ozark Folk Center. Here's what he found out this week. Impossible as it seems for those of us who were involved with the Ozark Folk Center when it opened, we will soon be closing in on 50 years of operation as an Arkansas State Park. Obviously, over that period of time, each of the craft shops have passed from one hand to another, most of them several times. I went to visit with Joe Rowe, who is among the most recent to be joining the ranks of the skilled and dedicated crafters who have worked here, showing and explaining their work to thousands of visitors. I'm taking over the Woodsmith shop at the Ozark Folk Center this year. Traditionally, that shop has made a lot of toys and other wooden children's things. Everyone that takes the shop over usually puts their own spin on it. And my spin this year when I take it over is going to be, I'm going to make some traditional wooden archery equipment. I'm going to make pull toys and I'm going to make some gourd craft instruments and things, tops. But we're going to talk about the archery today. Given the array of choices present day archers have, all the way from the most primitive bows, to the ones that seem to have been designed by some deranged structural engineer with a supercomputer, I asked Joe what he meant by traditional. Depending on who you're talking to, everybody has a little bit different sense of what's traditional. Some people think it's gotta be stone age kind of things where you're carving it with you know flint and things. I don't really believe that, that you have to have that to have a traditional bow. I'm using a few more modern tools, you know, draw knives, rafts, and things that they didn't have back then. But my definition of it is, I'm making a bow that's not multiple layers of wood laminated together to make it stronger, and it's actually easier to make like that when it's laminated. I'm taking a single piece of wood, and I'm carving everything that doesn't look like a bow away from it <laughs> until it starts bending the way I want it to bend at the pounds I want it to shoot. And then occasionally I will back the bow if I feel like I've compromised that one year growth layer. If there's any spots in it that look, I've thinned them out, I might back it with rawhide. As with any of the traditional crafts, the first step in the making process is finding or somehow producing the right raw materials. With bows, it's all about the wood. Before Europeans showed up on the North American continent, Bows made by the prehistoric Caddo of Arkansas's Washita region occupied a place toward the top of the hierarchy of valued trade goods. That's partly because they had imported from their cousins just to the west a variety of wood that Joe and many of his peers still seek out. In uh, making my archery equipment, I prefer to work with uh, about three or four different kinds of wood. Osage orange or bodark is my favorite. The next is either hickory or black locust. And I've made a couple out of mulberry, and I have a couple other woods I look, but bodark is my favorite. Then comes the slow, laborious heart of the work. When I start this process, I get a piece of wood that's a stave, and usually they're about five or six foot long, and they have bark on them, looks like a big long piece of firewood. That's my starting point. The first thing I'm gonna do is take my draw knife, I'm gonna remove the bark from it, and then to make a bow out of bow dark, you take it down to one year's growth ring. So you scrape the bow with, with the draw knife, and when you get down a, a continuous layer of a year's growth, that's the back of your bow. From that point, 
you may use a saw or something to kind of shape the edges off but then from then on you're turning it over and you're working on the belly side of the bow which is the side that faces you when you shoot and you start reducing the wood there until it starts bending the way you want it to. Joe will use some devices including a scale to measure tension that weren't available to the ancient Caddo but the keys to success are time-honored, patience, and precision. The further you get along in the process, the slower you go. Uh, at the end of this process, when, you're, when, you've, when you've rasped it and got it all shaping where it's looking like a bow and it's bending, just a handful of sawdust off of the back of it can make a huge difference as you're getting close to your, your finishing point. If I wanted a 20-pound pulling bow for a youth, I would never put more than 20 pounds of pressure on it. You always stop at what you want it to end up being, or you can do what they call hinge the bow. That means it's gonna bend unnaturally in one spot. And what that's gonna do is when you even it out, it's gonna be much weaker than you intended to begin with. So you slowly do this process and you string it up and you bend it and you look at it again before you carry on anymore. One additional feature of Joe Rose plans for demonstration will be a unique addition to the Crafts Village. I'm gonna have a short range shot course set up right behind the shop with an arrow stopping curtain hanging. So we'll be able to go out, if somebody wants to test a bow out, it's not gonna be any kind of long shots, but they'll be able to go out and shoot it and feel that it pops the target. And we're probably gonna shoot blunt arrows unless, unless I find an adult or uh, someone who seems very responsible because we're gonna have definite rules for safety set up at this place that if people do not follow the safety rules that I set out, then they're not gonna be allowed to shoot. In some ways, a recent addition to the list of the Ozark Folk Center's crafts, but one with roots that go back even before the time when people who shaped what we know as a traditional Ozark culture arrived. Images of Joe and his bow making can be found on the Facebook pages of both the Ozark Folk Center and Ozark Highlands Radio. Thanks, Charlie. As you know, this week we're featuring some excellent bluegrass music from both near and far. These next fellas come from just up the road from here in Batesville, Arkansas. Here are Adam Fudge and Brad Apple playing a couple of classic tunes.
You've been listening to Adam Fudge and Brad Apple playing a couple of well-known traditional instrumentals, Sally Gooden and Dear Old Dixie, which was first recorded by Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs back in 1952. Let's finish this week's show with a couple of tunes from the progressive bluegrass band Seldom Seen. Way down in the rich mountains Way down where the tall pines grow Lives my sweetheart of the mountains She's my little Georgia rose I mean, I notice it, you know, out at festivals and different venues. I think more urban venues, maybe in larger urban areas, maybe the crowd range is wider than it is per se at a rural bluegrass festival or more in a rural part of the country. I agree with you. But I think, yeah. I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of 
a lot of things that contribute to that. First of all, you know, to, to be able to take a family to a bluegrass festival now in the, in the speed of the world we live in is just unbelievable logistically for everyone. And I think that's hurt a little bit too, the speed of life as we've sped up a lot. You know, everything has, and I think that plays a little role. But as you said, I think artists too, the more artists that do what the scene has done over its lifetime of pulling people in from other genres, you know, that would, would not listen to bluegrass maybe. Those are the key things to keep it going. Song we did, Ron. Well, it is a different key. Is that close enough? <laughs> Let's see. Keys. How would I get into that? Let's see. Uh, what's the first words? How's the first verse go? I'm I got not sure. Away. Oh, I'm in the way. Narrow way. Got it. Got okay. It. Wait, that's the chorus, though, isn't it? No, that's it. I'm in the way. I'm in the way. Narrow way. Narrow way. The match is bright and Bethesda, Maryland, bluegrass supergroup, The Seldom Seen. In that short set, we heard a Bill Monroe tune from 1950, My Little Georgia Rose, 
and a song from the great Chuckwagon gang, I'll Be No Stranger There. Thanks for sticking around and listening to these superb bluegrass musicians. We'll be back next week with more good music, interviews, and folklore from the Ozark Mountains. This is your host, Dave Smith. I'll see you then. Ozark Highlands Radio is produced by Jeff Glover. Executive producer is Darren Dorton. Additional support for this program comes from Arkansas State Parks, a division of the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism, with 52 unique reasons to visit the natural state. On the web at ArkansasStateParks.com. The Committee of 100 proudly supporting the Ozark Folk Center State Park since 1974. And by Stone Bank with roots in Mountain View, Arkansas. Stone Bank is a proud supporter of heritage musicians and small towns across America with government-guaranteed loans for farmers, entrepreneurs, and communities. More information available at StoneBank.com. For information on upcoming shows and events, we are on the web at OzarkHighlandsRadio.com. Until next time, I'm Donna Farrar. Mm-hmm.